0: Welcome to Truth and Liberty. Thank you for joining our interactive daily broadcast where trusted leaders bring insights and analysis to the issues from a biblical perspective. According to the Bible, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So call in today to get biblical answers, information and resources to help you stand for truth and effect godly change in our nation and the world. And now here's your host, Richard Harris. Hello, everybody. This is Richard Harris. Welcome to the Truth and Liberty Live Call-In Show. Uh, Today is Thursday's installment of the show, and I'm sitting in for Alex McFarland. Alex was going to be hosting today from uh, uh, our East Coast Bureau, uh, but we ran into some technical difficulties thunderstorm, I think, that hit uh, North Carolina there and uh, knocked out his internet feed. So I'm hoping that he will be able to join us shortly by telephone uh, and participate in this broadcast, because uh, I know he was very excited uh, about the show, and uh, I'm excited about it, even though uh, I didn't know much until just a few minutes ago. So, But I'm always glad to be with all of you, and uh, to be on Truth and Liberty and share with you is always a great treat. Our special guest today, is Ben Quine. And Ben is the uh, Director of Curriculum and Strategic Ministry Partnerships for Christians Engaged. And so we are just super delighted to have Ben with us on the show now. Ben, welcome to Truth and Liberty.
1: Thank you so much, Richard. I'm just honored, thrilled to be here with you.
0: Well, uh, we're excited to have you. We love Christians Engaged. It is such, an, uh, uh, such a well-tuned uh, uh, ministry and organization doing such a good work. And I tell you, it's, uh, you know, for such a time as this, uh, we need the church to be engaged. We need Christians to be equipped and to stand up uh, to advocate for truth in the culture. That's what Truth and Liberty is all about. So we love having you guys
1: as our strategic partner. Thank you. You know, I, I know Bunny was uh, on the show with you just a couple of weeks ago, but it is, it's such an honor to partner with Truth and Liberty and to support you guys. You know, for me personally, um, I get to talk to people all over the all over the place, all over the country, and we hear just again and again from Christians saying, "I want to do something. I'm ready. I'd like to get involved." And it's such an honor being part of Christian engage we have tools we can really equip people to take the next step to disciple to learn how they can make an impact for America so just just thrilled that's awesome and so Uh, I think you can see the website there for
0: Christians Engaged. We just had it up for a second. It's christiansengaged.org. And folks, this is the Truth and Liberty Live call-in show, so be sure to call in today with your comments and questions Uh, for Ben Quine of Christians Engaged. The number is 719-619-2341. And everybody, uh, I think we have Alex McFarland on the line, on our VIP line, so he can uh, join us now. Alex, can you hear me?
2: hear you, Richard and and Ben. Thank you both. Uh, I'm sorry that I'm not there on video.
0: Okay, I'm not hearing him, so we're going to keep working on that. Um, I've got a note saying that he's online, but but I'm not hearing him. But Ben, tell me what you do for Christians Engaged. You have a really interesting title here, Director of Curriculum and Strategic Ministry Partnerships. Uh, What's your job?
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Richard. So, With Christians Engaged, we really have a heart to disciple the church. And um, like I said, we know there's millions of Christians that are ready to get involved and excited to get involved. And we we really try to do that in three ways. We have what's called our pledge. And we'd love for every Christian across the country to take this pledge, and it goes like this. I commit to pray for our country at least five minutes every week. Just pray for our country once a week, um, to vote in every election, and then to get involved in some kind of civic education or involvement. When Christian takes that pledge, we, we come alongside, we give them some tools, we give them weekly prayer reminders and a, and a topic, like this week we're going to pray for our school boards, we're praying for our mayors, we're praying for the Supreme Court. Some, some particular top topic to, to really help us um, get into the habit and discipleship of, of praying for the country. Next, we send voting reminders for every election, so you never forget an election. We're a nonpartisan organization, so we don't endorse candidates, we don't endorse parties, but we we believe that the church is the answer and that by getting involved, we can really make a difference, that, that the church can absolutely uh, make a huge impact for good in terms of elections. And then the third part is really kind of where my job description comes in, and that's the engage part. So we recognize that... Um, it's important not just for Christians to be voting, but we really need to be voting from a biblical worldview. You know, we want our 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 input, our thinking, our thoughts to be guided and directed by Scripture, really on all issues. Um, I was just reading this morning Roma, um, from Joshua 1:8, when he, when <clears throat> Joshua says, "Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you would be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful." this is this is kind of god's model for us to just be so saturated in the word that every area of life becomes directed or or influenced by that and so at christian engage we're writing curriculum we've developed um got books and videos, online courses that teach Christians how politics works, um, how civics works. Um, you know, we don't teach civics in schools like we used to, but in our classes, we give some really practical, here's how nuts and bolts, how things work in our government and how we can make a difference. You know, what is a party platform? What is a precinct meeting? What's a precinct chairman? How do you get involved? And then <clears throat> You know um what about the issues what about the biblical worldview and how does it impact uh you know how we should be voting um we talk about have a class on local government you know what happens at the county level and the city level and the school board level and how we can you know get to know our representatives how we can uh how we can advocate for certain issues that, that, that are important for us and so that's really what i do is is help to create um some of those courses um hopefully in just a bit, we'll talk a lot about the biblical justice course we just released last week. I'm so excited about that one. Um, but writing materials that really help people get in the word and understand how to apply that to government, how we can love our neighbor well through being involved in government. And then the other side of that is that I also love to connect with churches. So we connect with individuals, Uh, And we also love to connect with churches. We have an amazing partnership program that we've just started up a couple months ago. We're so excited about it because uh, we can then, through this, it's called a strategic ministry partnership, we can really um, resource the church, develop long-term relationship and see such growth. We've been hearing incredible things from pastors about people really getting involved uh, and making a difference through this program. So for any pastors out there, anyone involved with their church, um, definitely connect with us on how to do a strategic ministry partnership. We'd love to do that with you as well.
0: Wow. Thanks, Ben. That's amazing. That sounds like more than a full-time job. I'll tell you what, I think we do have Alex now dialed in and Alex, are you on the line? Can you hear us? Uh, Yes, I've been listening. Can you guys hear me? Yes, sir. Oh, wonderful.
2: Well, Well, First of all, Ben, thank you for being on, and Richard, thank you for being there in the studio. I'm sorry that back east we've got no internet, but we do have telephone. And Ben, uh, what you're doing with Christians Engaged is very encouraging to me because uh, you're mobilizing people throughout the country to pray for our nation, to influence others, and to influence voting. Uh, It's a, a great structure that you've got there.
1: Thank you. It, well, it really is. And prayer, of course, is the foundation. It, we have to start there, but we can't just—you know—we can't just pray. Like James says, you know, uh, faith without works—that's that's not very good. He says, if you see someone in need and you don't offer actual practical help, what good is that? And so we want to we want to equip the church with practical steps so they can really make it make an impact. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, they talk about elections being won by the grassroots. And you'll hear commentators talk about this or that candidate having a strong ground game. Ben, how can people be involved through Christians Engaged, people that care about our country, they care about the spiritual and political and moral future of our nation, but they, they say, how can I plug in? To be a part of the grassroots movement for God and country, what do you advise people to do?
1: Absolutely. Well— the first thing would be to take our pledge so you get the reminders you get the prayer you're getting you're praying every week you're um um connecting with our with our voter mobilization system to make sure you never miss an election and then um, and then you want to start taking our courses specifically our on ramp course is called the on ramp to civic engagement and this class will like I said it talk, talks about um, how to get involved at a very local level the um, the primary system and things like that the the precinct chairs and those those systems and then um, ask the Lord where, where's the burden for me what what where where do you want me to plug in? We have area leaders that facilitate connecting um, people in, in in local communities and joining together to work towards um, either running uh, running uh, elections, uh, promoting candidates, or um, you know. Training, training Christian leaders to be the next candidate. So there's there's just a whole range of things. But taking the pledge and then doing the on ramp course, those really are the starting places. And then you know, asking the Lord where He wants you to plug in at that point.
2: You know, Richard, on our own website, truthandliberty.net, dot net, we've got a tab on Take Action, yep. encouraging people to get some hands on participation and involvement. Uh, sounds like Christians engaged in the Truth and Liberty Coalition. We've kind of got the same, same heartbeat, same priorities, don't we, Richard?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, um, you know, we had Bunny Pounds, your uh, I think executive director on or president, uh, recently, and it was such a great conversation. It's pretty clear that we are uh, like-minded. So, looking forward to working together more. But, um, uh, you know. One of the things that's intriguing to me, uh, Ben, is looking at your bio here, it looks like this developing curriculum is sort of your specialty, isn't it? I see something called Cornerstone Curriculum, Worldview Library, and some other things. Is that stuff accessible through Christians Engaged? Uh, how do people get uh, get dialed into that?
1: Absolutely. So. Um, I have been involved in education pretty much my whole life. My um, my parents really were kind of pioneers in the uh, late 70s and early 80s of the the homeschooling movement that was starting up then. And so um, I have four brothers and four sisters, so nine kids. That was a, quite the handful as far as the family hey, goes. Same
0: same here. Same here. Except it was six boys, three girls. So oh, there you go. That's amazing. And and, and the boys were still outnumbered. Yeah, go figure.
1: <laughs> well, we had a we had a great time even though it was crazy, and mom and dad were just amazing parents but um, they've been writing homeschool curriculum um, really ever since then and my dad wrote it so that he uh, so that my mom would be equipped then to to pass on their faith to us to mm-hmm. really disciple us and spend really great one-on-one time as a family um, growing up I was really uh, passionate about really two things really scripture and um, music and so I was I was very much involved in studying God's word and in playing the piano I got a Fulbright scholarship to study music uh, overseas and pursued that for a while. But kind of the whole time I've been involved in education, um, I edited this this series called The Worldview Library, where um, as a part of Cornerstone, what we want children to do, especially at the foundational level, is to develop a strong foundation in what God's word says and this foundation of truth. And then as we get to older ages, high school and so, Um, have them then start comparing the fruit. Comparing what does the biblical worldview say, and and when 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 Christians when cultures implement that worldview, what is the fruit in terms of the culture? Or what about other ideas? What's the what are the some of the other major worldviews of Western culture, and what kind of fruit do they produce? So we have students read Homer and uh, Aquinas. We have them read Dante and so on, all the way up to. Um, uh, Say Bertrand Russell and Darwin, and looking at postmodernism, and and so, the Worldview Library course uh, series really is a set of, of books that helps kids get into and dive into these classic works that can be difficult to you know understand, but to make it as easy as possible so that we can really focus on the ideas that are that are behind those the worldviews that are expressed in these works, and then when the students look and say, wow. This, this worldview doesn't work. This worldview really leads to death. Like that's what Proverbs 14, 12 says, you know, there's a way that seems right to man. In the end, it leads to death. And you can see that over and over again through history as cultures adopt different worldviews. Um, I've also written this uh, series of Bible studies called Answers for Difficult Days. Um, that one is available, that series is available on christiansengaged.org. And in those books, right. what we do is dig into scripture to say what does god's word say about these issues that are so important i mean every day we're, we're wrestling with issues of you know what kind of what kind of economic system would be the most caring how can we be caring and loving uh, in our economics and our economic policies um what about justice i mean it's so evident that everyone in our culture i think understands we need to have justice but the question is who gets to say what justice is what does it what does it really look like and um, when we look to Scripture, that's when we find life and and joy and peace. And so that's what the book start is designed to help us really dig deeply into Scripture and um, come to the conclusions that that God says will bring life. So that's the answer to oh, the Yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, hi, uh, Alex here. And uh, I'm I'm for those just tuning in, I'm by phone, by the way. This is Truth and Liberty, and. Richard Harris is graciously on set for me, and I'm on, on long-distance phone. Uh, by the way, we're going to take calls in just a few moments, folks. I want to give this number it's 719-619-2341 if you've got a question. Uh, but, Ben, you, you're talking about really what you're saying, like history of Western thought, history of ideas, along with Scripture and the biblical worldview— this is so important to inspire and empower people, really people of all ages, to make a difference. Um, don't you find that, that people, especially young people, they, they really do respond to this truth, the Word of God, biblical worldview, the ideas that shaped America and the West. Um, I was just at Terrace Bible College all this week at the family a summer family Bible conference, and I was teaching the teenagers, uh, and they just light up because it's like this aha moment where, okay, I see why we believe in this moral truth. I see the, uh, the, the Ten Commandments, that that moral view is the foundation of our government. Uh, don't you find that when churches and individuals teach these things, people of all ages, especially young people, they really, really do respond to it, don't they, Ben?
1: They do. And that's because because of the truth that's contained there. I mean, you hit it on the head. The young people are looking to make a difference. They're, they want their lives to matter. They want to be pointed in the right direction. And the culture is really luck- rudderless and lost. We're just chasing one idea after the next. I think Paul, Apostle Paul described it as um, being tossed back and, back and forth on the waves. And... And when you have that anchor of scripture and you can have, with conf- have confidence that what you're doing is, is in line with truth, it brings so much peace and joy. And yeah, people just, it just brings, it's exciting to be a part of it.
0: You know, uh, Alex, I was wondering about something. I have people ask me often uh, for recommendations uh, on curriculum. Uh, that will help their kids understand American history from a Christian perspective. And it looks like, uh, Ben, you've done a lot of uh, a lot of curriculum development, I, and I'm curious, what do you tell people when they ask you that question?
1: Absolutely. Um, I recommend my father's materials, so that's David Quine. He's written an uh, amazing course called Starting Points and World Use of the Western World that takes junior high and high school kids through really the whole scope of Western Western culture and Western tradition and give special emphasis to the founding of America and how, that, the, how our founding was uh, based on biblical ideas.
2: You know, I agree. It's, uh, ben, it's really an honor to speak with you because I became aware of your dad's research and curriculum many years ago. And I, I mm-hmm. want to echo that. And Richard, to your question uh, in teaching about, you know, what is the Western world, why this matters, and specifically America, um, that is really good. Do you know, I've actually um, been, are you familiar with, um, he wrote A Patriot's Guide to American History, uh, Larry Schweikert from Ohio. Are you familiar with that scholar?
1: Uh, Yes, vaguely.
2: Yeah, he's written two really good books. One, A Patriot's Guide to American History, and the other is called 50 Liberal Lies You Probably Learned in High School. And I've taken small groups through both of these books. He's a Christian. He's a patriot. Uh, Dr. Larry Schweikert, in fact, I'm probably going to get him on Truth and Liberty one of these days, but um, um, we, we need to teach. And let me just implore, and Richard and Ben, both of you can jump on this. Folks, maybe you're in a small church and you think, well, you know, what can we do well, you could lead a, a series on a Wednesday night or a Sunday, lead adults to get excited about America and preserving this unique thing that many have called the, the American experiment. Um, guys, we can, we can inform ourselves. We can influence others. And there's so much great curriculum out there. Um, we don't have to start big. We can just start small. But we must. At least on some level start Richard would you agree
0: oh absolutely uh, we, we do have to start because the the public education system has been virtually completely overrun uh, by people that uh, hold to Marxist materialistic uh, worldview that reject the legitimacy of America's founding and um, are trying to literally unravel our culture and society you know the Colorado Educators Association, basically the teachers union for the for the state of Colorado, passed a resolution a few weeks ago condemning capitalism as the source of oppression, uh, basically endorsing Marxism and uh, mm. communism. Kind of amazing that that would happen in the United States of America, that, uh, that the teachers would do that, but that's where we are. And uh, so I think it's critical. And you know, the Independence Day was just two days ago, fourth of July, we had a big celebration here. Um, and then, I, you know, you wake up and you see headlines the next morning about how um, these social media influencers and liberals are all out there condemning the Fourth of July, calling people that celebrate the Fourth of July racists and white supremacists. And it's just astounding, and they, they think this one, uh, I, I saw one uh, influencer uh, state on Twitter that. The Declaration of Independence was uh, not written for black people, you know, that they they didn't care about freedom for blacks and and that they were all slave owners, you know, so they don't, they're not even operating from accurate history. So, yeah, it's just really important that we we return to accurate historical understanding of the foundings of our country, which are also rooted in, you know, uh, the Reformation and the First Great Awakening and all those amazing uh, things that happened even before the Declaration of Independence.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, and the thing is, we we can make a huge impact. It's, um, I, I'd just love to plug this biblical justice course that we released last week. Um, it's eight videos. They're about an hour each. So it's really simple to go through. That we have a, there's a PDF. You just work through the little Bible study first, then hit play. Um, I do, a, each video has a has a lecture uh, that I present from scripture. And then we have these incredible guests uh, like David Barton, Kirby Anderson, uh, Stuart Greaves, we have Honorable Scott Turner, uh, a bunch of other incredible, incredible guests, and um, you know we're going through Scripture again and again. We find these principles just jumping out—biblical principles of justice—and I just give you the the top three, and they are equality before the law. So the idea that all people should be uh, treated equally, equal restitution. So if there's a wrong, there, it should be it should be made right, and it should be made right with an equal repayment, <clears throat> and then individual responsibility that each of us are responsible really for our own sin or for our own actions, and you know those three pillars that you, they're in the gospel, they're the cornerstone of the gospel. Um, we see them again and again through the Old Testament, the Mosaic Law, and they're they're really echoed and repeated in the New Testament, and um, <clears throat> What's so cool is after going through all scripture in the in the last video, um, we talk about how looking through our founding documents, we can see again and again the principles that we looked at in the first seven classes, and they come out. They're in our declaration. They're in, in the Constitution. They're in the Bill of Rights. We talk, talk about over 20 different major principles from scripture echoed in our documents. And of course, we have never been perfect you know no government's perfect um and we talk about ways that we still experience you know injustice in America today but um we can we can understand and be grateful for the revolutionary i mean absolutely revolutionary wonderfully revolutionary and and beautiful dream of the declaration that all men are created equal and should be treated as such well at the time that was written the world was such a dark place. Slavery was, you know, uh, had been standard since creation, since the, since the founding of the world. And this was the first time that governments began to say, no, we're not going to do that. So even among American, the colonists, you know, they weren't all ready to accept that, practically speaking. They, they might accept the document, but to practically work that out still took so much time and bloodshed and debate. Um, but, you know, just to see... Again and again, all these biblical principles—it's really powerful. So, I just encourage everyone to take this biblical justice class.
0: Well, uh, Alex, and I'm not sure uh, if you can. Even it. as we do this program tonight,
2: uh, you know the the Twitterverse is ablaze with commentary on some of the recent Supreme Court decisions. Those of us that are conservative, constitutionalist Christians—I mean, uh, 303 Creative, the website company being, you know, having the liberty to decline doing websites that uh, conflict with their religious and moral values, that's a great um, victory for, uh, you know, freedom of conscience and First Amendment rights. And then the uh, decision rendering affirmative action within college admissions to be unconstitutional. Those of us that believe in, like you say, Ben, equal uh, protection under the law, equal accountability before the law. Um, we're celebrating these Supreme Court decisions from exactly a week ago. Um, but, but a lot of people are saying that this is just structural racism and things like that. We've got a break in about five minutes, but um, I, I want to try to help people understand how important it is that finally there are some decisions coming down from the judiciary that really are upholding our constitutional uh, values. Um, are we witnessing then a turning point against some of this wokeness and um, y- you know, just uh, relativism that had been imposed on us for so long? Is a turning point beginning?
1: Oh, such a great question, Alex. Um, you know I don't I don't believe we can ever see where we are at the moment. We really can only see, Later on. So I pray this is that turning point, you know. Um, and certainly these these uh rulings are very hopeful, they're very promising. Um, I would say at least it's an it's an illustration of the struggle that's going on in our culture. Like we have we have these worldviews that are utterly incompatible. You have the biblical worldview, you have the secular worldview, and um the secular worldview quite clearly is intent on removing and destroying the Christian worldview, removing every any remnants of it. If you if you hold the Christian worldview, you're a felon. And if you you know if you if you decline to um, design a website or if you use the wrong pronouns, uh they'll Laws, I guess, Michigan just passed uh, the House. It's not a f- final law yet, but the House in Michigan passed resolution that that using wrong pronouns could be um, a felony offense. So these are really oh. attacks on on religious liberty, attacks on um, the biblical worldview, and <clears throat> and to see the court rule. Um, again, this this is this we've been going back and forth through history. In 1868. This was the 14th Amendment when it was established. It says, you know, um, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Nor denied to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. And at that time, there was, and this is what Justice Roberts' ruling said again and again and again, the court ruled that discrimination is absolutely unconstitutional. You can't discriminate, you can't segregate, we can't give preferential treatment based on race. And then when the Jim Crow era came, all those. We're, were reversed, Plessy versus Ferguson. We had these horrible, horrible um, laws put in place as a result of that ruling. And so now to finally see um, the court say, no, no, again, we're going to go back to equal protection.
0: So, um, uh, ben, awesome. I'm, I apologize for jumping in here on you, but we're going to coming up on a break in five seconds. So uh, we'll, we'll take about 90 seconds now to uh, to share some information with our viewers. We'll be right back after that with Ben Quine uh, from Christians Engaged, and Alex McFarland, our host for today, who's on on the show uh, by, by phone. And if you want to call in with your questions, please do that, 719-619-2341. We'll be right back after this. We're the antidote for what's happening in this world. But you need to see beyond the physical, and I believe that the greatest days of the church are ahead. God has a word for you, God has a plan for you, and God is raising
1: up an army that knows how to fight the right fight the right way.
0: At Truth and Liberty Coalition, we have big plans to make a big impact. If you want to be a part of turning our nation back to God, I want to invite you to become a supporter of Truth and Liberty. You can go on our website at truthandliberty.net to the donate page and make a gift there. And you can also sign up to be uh, make a recurring automatic gift of $5 or more per month, and then you'll become a Truth and Liberty member. And uh, our gifts to Truth and Liberty are not tax deductible, but I promise you, God sees your generosity. So go to Truth and Liberty and Liberty and become a member today this is a godly nation it was founded upon godly principles God is calling us to rebuild his house so that he can manifest his glory in the midst of a corrupt and pagan world I would argue that America has been more prosperous more successful than any other nation because we have done more in reading and applying the Bible. It is the history for Christians to speak out and to make a difference in this nation. Hey, everybody. We're back here on the Truth and Liberty Live call-in show. And uh, it's just, we're having a great time today. Alex McFarland is our lead host today, but he has to connect by phone because of uh, power outages uh, where he lives. But we're super glad to have Alex on. And I'm Richard Harrison. Our guest today is Ben Quine of Christians Engaged. And uh, we uh, we before the break, uh, Ben was responding to a question about um, some of these Supreme Court cases that had come down and the importance of understanding what real biblical justice
1: is. Ben, you want to pick up where you left off there? Absolutely, thanks, Richard. Um, so just talking about how the the Fourteenth Amendment established the clear principle that um, there must be equality for all citizens under the law, and that the Supreme Court after the civil after the Civil War, made ruling after ruling how um to to reinforce that um issues like um, um parks and uh, owning property and 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 striking down the Dred scott ruling so again and again the, the scotus confirmed that individuals had to be treated equally under the law but but then with as a result of a uh, really disastrous ruling called plessy versus Fer- ferguson um we had all kinds of horrible things implemented um Horrible laws implemented in our culture, and and I feel like this this ruling is a very landmark ruling that will go a long way to um, to bringing an end to uh, really it's really racism it's really discrimination when when we look at someone and say whether it's uh, in a job interview or in a uh, college application and say well we're going to treat them differently based on based on the color of their skin. That's uh, extremely unconstitutional, and it's actually extremely unbiblical. There's so many examples um, uh, in Scripture where God says it's not acceptable. Uh, like Leviticus 19 talks about how we, we shouldn't be partial to the poor or defer to the great. Um, Numbers 15 talks about we have to have one law, one, one rule for uh, for the Israelite, for the native, and for the stranger or the foreigner who's sojourning in the land. Um, in Deuteronomy, uh, God talks about directly to the judges, and he says, you, you can't pervert justice. You can't show favoritism or partiality. Um, no unequal treatment. Uh, in, in Romans, we see that God, it's, it actually says that God shows no partiality. This is part of his character as well. It's not just a rule he invented for us, but it's what how he acts. And he says, this is what I want you to do as well. In and, and James, we see My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, you know, God just absolutely forbids any partiality or favoritism based on social status or power or wealth or any other category. And um, what the Supreme Court ruled last week is that affirmative action does that. Affirmative action, uh, in in the case of uh, this college admissions, was showing partiality. It was unequal treatment and therefore unconstitutional. And I would say unbiblical too.
2: Showing partiality by race, which is racism.
1: That's right. And what's really exciting and interesting is that that in the Bible, um, none of the passages talk about how you you can't. Uh, none of the passages in Scripture prohibit partiality based on race. And and we might draw a wrong conclusion from that. We might draw the conclusion, oh, God doesn't care about that. But actually, it's amazing because. In fact, in the Bible, race is not a legitimate category at all um, because God never groups people by race. We're, we're, there are not multiple races scripturally. We're all part of one race, the human race. We're all brothers and sisters. We're all children of Adam and Eve. We're all descendants from Noah. And um, you know, there, there are a lot of categories that, that the Bible does use. You can group people by language or geography, citizenship, um, male or female saved or unsaved, you know, wise and foolish, but never, uh, uh, according to the Bible, should we ever divide people or label people based on race and certainly never show partiality based on race.
0: You know, the,
1: the left, like only one race, the human race, really. That's right. Uh,
2: so
0: the, the liberals like the to use the word.
2: The Sorry, Alex. I've got a question or you want to weigh in on the conversation with Ben Quine of Christians Engaged, or Richard Harris, and myself of of Karis and Truth and Liberty. But the number for questions is 719-619-2341. By the way, if you need prayer, um, maybe you want to pray for our nation, or you want someone to agree with you about a a matter, or maybe you want to know what it means to be a Christian. The number for prayer, and there's no obligation, no, no strings attached, we just want to minister to you, but the The prayer line is 719-635-1111. And I do want to remind everybody there is so much good content on TruthAndLiberty.net. TruthAndLiberty.net. Also, if you uh, dial or put in TruthAndLiberty.net slash subscribe, we'll keep you updated. Richard, I want to commend you. I get your um, strategic reports and the releases that you put out. I always enjoy reading those. And uh, there's just a lot of good content, and content empowers and inspires and motivates people, doesn't it, Richard?
0: Yeah, it does. Uh, the, the scriptures say that um, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And um, many believers today in America are really quite ignorant of so many things. Um, And uh, so that's part of our mission here at Truth and Liberty, just like Christians Engaged, is to educate, inform, and equip the body of Christ to stand for truth. And uh, so folks, we'd love to hear your questions today. Uh, 719-619-2341. I I was wondering, Alex, if we could kind of ask Ben to talk a little bit about social justice. You know, it's a phrase that leftists like to use. Um, And I think it's tied in a lot to this affirmative action case and the debate over whether that decision was right or wrong. Um, Ben, would you mind commenting on what is this thing called social justice and is that the same thing as true justice?
1: Absolutely, Uh, such a great question. And it's one of the questions, you know, for our time. Um, Again and again in scripture, especially if you read the prophets, I mean, if you look at the book of Amos, for instance, is all about justice and we see that God is very passionate for justice to be put into place. He's passionate for social justice. You know, He talks about how widows and orphans should never be mistreated, right? He talks about how um, oppression, how you know, he hates oppression. He hates it when um, those who are in charge of creating the laws um, abuse the people or write laws that go against his character. God really is um, concerned with social justice. And of course, that's why Christians need to be involved in our government. If we if we want to show love to our neighbors, we have to be involved. Otherwise, um, wicked people will be involved. You know, uh, Proverbs 29.2 is a, a great verse for today. It says, um, when the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, the people mourn or the people groan. And so, you know, I just think again and again: if if our neighbors are groaning, if they're moaning, if they're suffering, we can't just walk past. We have to get involved. And um, so, God cares absolutely; is passionate about social justice or justice being applied to our society. But what's interesting is that in modern terms, the modern social justice, um, we've really we've really seen some remarkable. Um, Linguistic and logical gymnastics as words have been redefined, Um, primarily the word equity. We just, if we could just start with that one. Um, Equity uh, traditionally has been a word that is more or less synonymous with equality. In other words, treating everyone equally or equality of equal opportunities. Um, But nowadays, we see it's been redefined to mean equal outcomes, equality of outcomes. And um, you know, so it's easy for a Christian, we might read um, read a verse like Psalm 99 verse four, it says, the king in his might loves justice. You have established equity, you have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. So a Christian can think, absolutely, I, I sh- I'm for justice, I'm for righteousness, I'm for equity, it sounds great. But what we don't understand is that now the meaning has been um, almost completely switched. And um, the only way, so equality of outcome, even that sounds very nice, right? Um, but the only way to achieve equality of outcome is through forced unequal treatment. Um, it would be through forcibly removing something that one person has and giving it to someone else. Or as we saw in this um, Supreme Court ruling, forcibly denying one person uh, a right or an opportunity based on their ability, and then forcibly giving that to someone else. And that would be injustice. So. Equality, though, it might seem like a beautiful, again, a beautiful dream, um, is only enforceable and achievable through injustice. There's a lot of other, a lot of other Forgive me for jumping in, guys. Uh, Richard, do
0: we have any callers on hold? Yes, uh, we do. We've got a call. Uh, We've got a caller here, Elizabeth, uh, from Colorado. Would you like to take that call, Alex? Yes, let's do it okay all right elizabeth i think you are on the air what's your question today hi elizabeth can you hear me okay well for some reason we're not communicating i can't hear okay hi elizabeth can you hear me Okay, well, uh, we'll leave it to our... Um, He's having all sorts of...
3: Yeah, I can't hear. Guys,
0: that's it. Okay. We'll, yeah, we'll let our technicians get that sorted out. Uh, Alex, you got a question for Ben? I've got a question for Ben.
2: And, and by the way, I, I thank you so much for being with us on Truth and Liberty. Um, before I throw a question at you, give your website,
1: if you would, Ben. Absolutely. It's www.christiansengaged.org. Wonderful.
2: So let me set this up. Uh, In my home state of North Carolina, there is a college near Fort Bragg called Fayetteville State University. And there's a big uh, wall that goes down one city block and there are all these murals. And there are LGBTQ trans murals and Black Lives Matter and 1619 Project. And all of these, Causes really assume what we call relativism, and relativism, by the way as as Richard I know you know and Ben you know, but listeners, relativism says there is no objective moral standard that we all must live in light of, but morals change, truth changes, relativism says it's it's not objective but it's fluid, so I'm going around this university, and there are all these murals celebrating causes, environmentalism, homosexual movement, abortion rights, all these things that are based on relativism. And you come to the corner of this major intersection, and in huge letters, probably six feet tall, it says, justice now. (laughs) And it's underlined very emphatic. In other words, um in a, in a pro-life culture, we want abortion and we want it now. In, in an America that was once capitalist, we want socialism and we want it now, and we define justice as that. Now, Ben, all of that to ask, here's my question. In a world of relativism, is there such thing as justice? I, I, I mean, In in a world where there is no objective moral standard, and I want the right to do whatever I want to do, is it even meaningful to demand justice?
1: Such a great point, Alex. Um, It's not logical. It's not intellectually consistent. But there's there's still a desire for it you know we we know we have that god shaped vacuum built in our hearts our conscience scripture says our conscience still bears witness you know even those who are rejecting god um we know that there is um an absolute right and wrong and whether we choose to embrace that or reject it um i i think even on one of your last shows you you gave an example of uh talking about how we can how we can say well if you really believe that there's no such thing as right and wrong what if what if my truth is to to break into your house and and take your things and you get to a point very quickly where they say well you can't do that that's wrong and we all we, we can't live we can't live with that real um truly relativistic there's no truth there is no moral no moral standard um it doesn't work for humanity and so um we make the jump. We make the jump as a culture and say, we have to have justice, um, even though we could never define it logically or, or philosophically based on truth as far as what that justice is. And that's the beauty of scripture. It gives us absolutely a foundation to say, it's totally in line with God's character. It's totally in line with the universe. It's in line with the truth of scripture um, and 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 our beliefs flow consistently and logically. What It's such a blessing.
2: Richard, let let me ask you this, because you as an attorney, uh, relativism, the idea that I'll make my own truth and there's no absolute standard that I have to follow, everybody makes their own truth and all the truths are different. Richard, what has this done to our legal system and our judiciary? uh,
0: Well— Let me say this, that the the structure of the American judiciary is built on the premise that there is truth and that truth is discernible. Uh, Every jury trial in this nation occurs because we believe we can find truth or we can get as close as possible to truth and that it's an objective thing. If there is no truth. If truth is only in the eyes of the beholder, then the entire system is a farce, right? You can't achieve justice. Here's what uh, I tell people. So we had up earlier on your, your, um, it looked like your graphic there, Ben, for your program, there's the Lady of Justice, right? It's that statue of the woman who's blindfolded, holding scales in one hand and a sword in another, right? And, And the question is, why does she have scales, first of all? She has scales because she's measuring. She's trying to get to to determine what which is the whole purpose of justice is to bring things back into the proper state of affairs, right? Uh, the punishment is a recompense for the wrong, and so you want, like you said earlier, Ben, you want the punishment to equal the wrong. That's what the scales are doing, measuring the wrong, so you can dispense justice, right? Well, and she's blind because justice is blind, not supposed to look at things that aren't relevant to the question of what does it take to make this matter right? So if you say there's no truth, there is no way there can be justice. There can be no justice without truth because uh, justice depends on truth. And I would go further. We've got several callers here, Alex, if you don't mind, if I just develop this out just a minute here is, um, Modern concept of social justice is a group conflict-based theory. In other words, this group is oppressed, this group is the oppressor, therefore, we have to use legislation to bring justice between groups. It's a, it's a fallacy. It cannot be done. Justice is only achievable on an individual basis, and the reason it can't be done is because there's no way to find what, uh, how one person in this massive group of 50 million people, what harm did they suffer? versus what, who caused that harm. You can't punish a group and reward a group. There's no way to achieve justice there, especially when you're doing it for historical harms that happened 100 years ago, it's impossible to do. So it's all a charade, there's no truth in it. Uh, but like I said, we've got several callers here if you want, want to begin progressing towards those. I'm not sure if you can see the screen, Alex, but- um, No, I'm, I'm
2: not able to. So uh, Richard, if you would queue up the callers, please.
0: Oh, I'm happy to do that, okay. Well, it looks like Elizabeth, who we tried to go to earlier, is still in the queue, so we'll take another shot there. Elizabeth, can you hear me now? Yes, I can hear you, thank you. Oh, fantastic. Thanks for calling, what's your question?
3: Yeah, so we've been talking about the Supreme Court and you kind of touched on it a little bit, but when Congress gets out of hand, we have the ability to call them and hold them accountable, put pressure on. I was just asking, is there a way where we can put pressure on our justices, whether it's Supreme Court or local court systems, where we can hold our, ju- our judges accountable, and like you mentioned just a while ago, to have blind justice, not based on their political view? So is there a way where we can kind of put the pressure on our judges to rule
0: fairly and equally? Thanks for your question.
1: Um, ben, you wanna, you wanna tackle that? well I'll, I'll give it a start you guys can carry on but it's a great question you know when the in the founders um designed our system they had a very deep seated belief in the depravity of man they they took um <clears throat> jeremiah to heart when he said the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked and that's why they designed the system of checks and balances that's why they designed um limitations on government um specifically for the Supreme Court. Um, the reason the court was not up for elections and the reason the court was um, given lifetime appointments was specifically so that they could be withdrawn from social pressure, that they could be withdrawn from the whims of the culture. That they wouldn't, the idea was that they wouldn't be subject to that kind of, of pressure. Um, now, the, the real check would be THAT CONGRESS um, DOES HAVE AUTHORITY TO CREATE NEW LAWS THAT WOULD BE CONSTITUTIONAL um, IF THEY IF THEY THINK THE COURT IS OUT OF LINE OR uh, as, a, AS INDIVIDUALS IT'S OUR RESPONSIBILITY TO GO THROUGH THE SYSTEM ELECTING SENATORS AND PRESIDENT WHO WILL PUT IN GODLY JUDGES AND JUSTICES BUT IT JUST SHOWS THE EXTREME IMPORTANCE OF ALL THE LAYERS IF WE ALLOW um, godless. godless Um, judges to control the court we see generations of evil rulings and we've seen that in our in our history you know like we said with the Plessy versus Ferguson case um, court or Dred Scott when the court ruled that that um, black people weren't citizens and didn't have rights you know this this these kinds of horrible rulings have generational damage so it's extremely important but but the system was designed to remove the SCOTUS from that kind of social pressure
0: Absolutely, yeah. Go ahead, Alex. Um,
2: Richard, do we have another call?
0: Yeah, we absolutely do. Uh, we've got uh, several calls in the queue. Um, I, it, would you mind if I came back to James, or uh, onto Ben's answer there, um, federal, federal judges are not elected, but many states, uh, local judges are elected. Um, they often are in nonpartisan races, and it's not exactly as easy to lobby them, but they are more subject to the, the will of the people in a sense. So just a, a little bit of clarification there. Uh, I do think that even the United States Supreme Court, those justices are quite aware of public opinion, and they do keep their eye on it, even though... Uh, they're not necessarily up for election. But uh, great for a great question, Elizabeth. Thanks for calling in. Our next caller is Linda from South Carolina. Uh, Linda, thanks for calling Truth and Liberty today. What is your question or comment?
3: Well, mine's more of a comment. I am in support of what the Supreme Court just did with affirmative action. I actually started high school in 1965. So when I started to apply to colleges, I experienced affirmative action firsthand in that I knew that there were only going to be so many of this race accepted and another race accepted, and they may not have been equal um, in qualifications. And even as a high school student, I thought, you know, that's not fair. Um, I just think everybody should get positions, um, college acceptance, whatever, based on their merit. And um, then as a teacher, high school teacher, I was in charge of a varsity cheerleader group, and we had to guarantee a minority girl on the squad, regardless of the votes or her abilities. And there were just so many inequities. And and I'm just thankful that this has come about. I don't want anyone to be mistreated. That's not what God intended. Um, He created us all equal. But I just think it needs to be equal, and I just support this and just wanted to give you my comment.
1: Thank you, Linda yes thank you very much linda you know um i love the end of book of proverbs proverbs 31 when it talks about the ideal woman and um you know she does these incredible things she's an entrepreneur she starts businesses um she Um, creates products and sells them and she makes a profit and then she turns and takes that money and invests it in another business and she um, provides for her household and pays her employees and then she gives generously and just an incredible incredible economic example for us and the very last verse in Proverbs which is kind of the summary or the or the conclusion of the wife of noble character which is kind of the conclusion practical example of the whole book of Proverbs says give her the reward she has earned and let her works bring her praise in the city gates and i just think that that rule give her the reward she has earned is such a incredible encapsulation of what justice looks like in a culture and particularly in terms of economics but you know in so many other ways like you said when our when our own our merits individual merits are um what are used for college admissions that's that's really more much more fair than doing it by group
0: All right, um, okay, so our next caller is gonna be James from Georgia. Uh, James, thanks for calling in today. What is your question, sir? Good,
4: good. Uh, do you think that we're living right out of Revelations twelve twelve right now?
0: All right, well, James, I'm gonna to have to look that one up. Um, let's see. Do you have it in front? of? Here we go. Our team has put it up for us. It says, therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. What do you think, uh, Ben, Alex, you got any comments on that one?
2: Well, Richard, I, I wasn't able to hear the question, so could you summarize the question for me?
0: Yeah, James wants to know if we are currently living in the times described in Revelation 12, 12.
2: Okay. <laughs> I, I personally, let, let, let me just say this, Christians have believed for 20 centuries that, which we all agree that Christ is literally coming back one day and to eat world systems that have for many centuries aligned against God and truth, one day I can vanquish all sin and evil, and He will rule and reign in righteousness forever. I believe that. I personally believe that we are near the end of time. Uh, I think there are a lot of indicators. One of One of the greatest indicators is Israel's rebirth as a nation now 75 years ago. I believe it was May 14th of 1948. And Richard and Ben, as I understand in times, uh, I believe that, uh, as the Bible says, evil men will wax worse and worse. I, I believe in something that is commonly called the rapture, that God will catch away the church and there will be seven years of tribulation. And I, I know a good godly people, sometimes on the minutia of, of eschatology have, you know, differing opinions, but I think that we're very, very likely near the return of Christ. Now, I think for Christians, it's reason to rejoice, it's reasons to be more committed than ever. Um, I, I think there's going to be a great harvest of souls, and I think we're watching the beginning stages of what some call the Third Great Awakening, but Um, Along with the the spread of the gospel, the return of Israel to their land, one of the harbingers of the last days is an explosive increase in evil and ungodliness, and even Satanism and demonism. And guys, you feel free to agree or disagree, but um, the struggle between light versus dark, good versus evil, righteousness versus demonism... I think the, the almost palpable static in the air, the spiritual struggle that we see every day, it's indicative that we are near the end of time. I mean, that, that's what I believe.
0: Uh, well, I Alex, great, hey— great, um... great. Um I wanna, I wanna let uh, Ben comment on that, but we are on a break here, on our second break. So, we'll let Ben uh, chime in on that after we come back from a 90-second break. And uh, James, thanks for your question. We'll be back in 90 seconds to talk about, uh, are we in the end times, and what about Revelation 12:12. THE MOMENT YOU BELIEVE, YOUR HEALING IS DONE. AND IT'S JUST A MATTER OF TIME UNTIL WHATEVER THE SYMPTOMS ARE, ARE GONE. YOU OBSERVE WHAT JESUS DID AND TRY IN YOUR MIND AND SAY, I'M MAKING A JUDGMENT THAT JESUS PAID THE PRICE FOR ME. WE FOCUS ON WHAT THE DOCTORS CAN DO FOR US MORE THAN WHAT GOD CAN DO FOR US. SAY, GOD
1: IS MY HEALER, NOT THE DOCTOR.
0: Okay, everybody, we're back here on The Truth and Liberty Live call-in show. So great to have you watching today. Uh, Alex McFarland is our lead host today, connected by by, uh, cell phone technology. And our very special guest is Ben Quine. And Ben is uh, uh, the Director of Curriculum and Strategic Ministry Partnerships for Christians Engaged, a a fantastic ministry that's like uh, super dialed in on the needs of the body of Christ. And uh, we had... um, uh, the their president, Bunny Pounds, on the show a few weeks ago. So I really love what God is doing here between the two organizations. But the question was asked by James from Georgia, are we living in Revelation 12, 12? And um, Ben,
1: I just wanted to pitch that up to you and uh, ask you to comment on that. Thank you, Richard. Yeah, I just loved Alex's answer. Um, Christians really have um, great hope. You know, we know that no matter what happens, um, Jesus is coming back, he's coming back soon, and he will um, bring with him perfect justice as he rules the nations. Um, we don't know, however, exactly when that's gonna be. And I, I really love how Alex is pointing out the certain harbingers that we've seen, um, the rebirth of Israel as a nation, um, the rise of um, increased wickedness, and, and really this this more overt spiritual war that we're seeing. Um, A couple other issues that that seem to me to be powerful harbingers include uh, globalism, um, the rise of certain technology that that seem to really align with or be um, uh, enabling certain prophecies of Scripture that might have seemed impossible in the past, Um, and then just the rise of authoritarianism that we're seeing over and over again. But for me, the... The, the key point is, if you look at Christ's parables, like the parable of the virgins, the wise and the foolish virgins, um, and, and a number of others, what Jesus says is that the bottom line takeaway is watch and be ready because we don't know the hour is going to be. So, I, I, to answer the question, I do personally believe that we are at the very, very threshold of Christ's return, but. You know, it might be today, I pray it is today, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus, but it might not be right away, it might be in a while. And uh, either way, we still have a responsibility um, to to continue to do good, to love our neighbors, to preach the gospel um, and to do that until Jesus comes back.
0: Yeah, amen. amen. Well, so James, uh, with respect to Revelation 12, 12, it, it says there. John says that he he saw a battle in the heavens, and uh, Michael struggled with with. Uh uh, with the devil and he he was cast out and drew a third of heaven with him people speculate about whether that uh, event has occurred uh, or when it will occur and you know I personally just will be honest I believe it has occurred uh, I'm not hundred percent certain whether it occurred um, uh, after the fall in the Garden of Eden or whether it occurred at Christ's resurrection um, i I think it's probably Christ's resurrection because he said, Jesus said in John 12, 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And and so, but regardless of when it happened, I think we are in that phase right now where Satan is trying. uh, He's come down with fury. He wants to destroy. Uh, the Word of God. He's after the Word. We know that from the parables of Jesus. He, and uh, he wants to eliminate it from the earth. And uh, he is the source of uh, all of the... Um CENSORSHIP AND THE OPPOSITION THAT WE ARE EXPERIENCING TODAY TO GOD'S WORD. HE WANTS TO EXTERMINATE IT AND HE KNOWS THAT HE CAN ONLY DO THAT BY EXTERMINATING GOD'S PEOPLE. AND SO, um, YEAH, WE ARE LIVING IN THAT TIME. BUT WHAT uh, BEN SAID IS 100% RIGHT THAT, YOU KNOW WHAT, WE CAN'T DO ANYTHING ABOUT THE DEVIL BEING MAD. Uh, ALL WE NEED TO DO IS KEEP OUR EYES ON JESUS, MAKE SURE OUR HEARTS ARE ON FIRE FOR HIM AND READY FOR HIS RETURN AND uh, USE OUR FAITH. LET'S USE OUR FAITH IN THESE END TIMES FOR VICTORY and for overcoming power and not worry too much about the devil. All right, James, thank you so much for uh, your question, though. We really appreciate the call. Folks, we're here on the Truth and Liberty Live Call-In Show with our very special guest, Ben Quine. This is the first time for me to meet Ben, and I'm super excited about it. It's been uh, really great meeting you, brother. And you're a Bible scholar. You're a history professor. You're a musician. I mean, you've got a lot of things going for you. This is great. And Alex McFarland is our lead host today. He's on the phone uh, here uh, from uh, his home in North Carolina and uh, it's been a a great program so far and we've been talking a lot about a lot of different subjects Um, and you know this whole uh, uh, Supreme Court cases um, they really bring to uh, into focus some of the great questions of our day don't they
2: well they they really do Richard and I want to thank you Richard for helping us and also uh, Ben Quine and uh, Richard, uh, do we have another caller waiting?
0: No, uh, not at this time. But we have time to take more calls. So, folks, if you're watching and want to uh, get a question or comment in, the number is seven one nine six one nine two three four one.
2: You know, I, I, let, let me throw out some news here and cue this up. A response from you, um, Ben and Richard as well. So, uh, have you have you followed? Um, Corey Jackson out in in California, who is a Muslim and is not Caucasian, Uh, I forget, I read where he was either born in uh, Uganda, uh, but he, he is black, but he has been accused of being a white supremacist because he doesn't support, well, for one thing, the woke agenda, but also there was a piece of legislation in California. That would amend the California state constitution to um, give to uh, appropriate taxpayer money to fund quote culturally specific programs, in other words, um, reparations, affirmative action in uh, business and education, it, uh, to modify the California state constitution to uh, you use money for uh, taxpayer money. For woke causes. And so uh, a Democrat colleague called him a white supremacist because he, as a black Muslim, really opposes some of this woke legislation. In a similar story in Maryland, a Maryland Democrat calls Muslim families white supremacists that oppose LGBTQ trans curriculum in public schools. Now, all you know, Shortly after 9-11, if anyone critiqued Islam, they were called Islamophobic. But now, because the left is so wedded to the the Marxist woke agenda and the LGBTQ trans agendas, they're willing to forego their previous uncritical support of Islam to even call Muslims and black Muslims white supremacists who support the woke agenda, all of that to ask this, guys. Isn't it surprising, if not humorous, what the left will do when they're picking their side, when they've got an ideology that must be defended at any cost, they're willing to abandon previous allies and make them fierce enemies because the ideology is the truth. But the ideology must be defended. Uh, do you guys see that in these
1: stories? Go ahead, Ben. It's it is very interesting to see positions change in this way. Uh, I love that you point that out. Um, I don't think I think the issues are extremely serious, though. So it's hard for me to to find it humorous because. Um, because it's such a it's such a deeply important and relevant issue uh, for our culture. You know um, I guess if you don't mind me going on a little bit of a rant here for just a second, but God talks about so often how um, uh, like in Ezekiel 1820 uh, it says, the soul who sins shall die, the son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son." Um, in Deuteronomy, it says, each one shall be put to death for his own sin. I mean, God is really passionate that <clears throat> children not suffer for the sins of their parents. Um, biblically speaking, white supremacy is an abomination. I mean, I'm so against white supremacy, I can't even tell you. It's, sure, it's sure. one of the, it's a great evil, right? But... And, you know, Richard, you commented on this earlier when you talk about how how modern social justice really groups people and and creates groups and then puts guilt on a group. But um, what that does, I mean, first of all, it's it's so so against what God says It's so against the scriptures principles of individual responsibility. What that does is it starts then putting guilt and punishment on those who did no wrong. And it's tragic. It's absolutely tragic. and then to have to have people who are i don't know the details of this particular case or this person but if he's just standing up for biblical principles of justice and saying no i, did, I didn't this person didn't do that they don't deserve to suffer f- for someone else's sin to have that person then labeled as a white supremacist it's it's really shocking and i think it's horrible
0: yeah I, I think to me, Alex, and I agree with everything Ben said, but I think those examples show the intellectually vacuous nature of leftists, leftist thinking. Um, they, they resort typically to ad hominem attacks. That means calling people names uh, when their backs are against the wall that, you know, when someone challenges them with facts, uh, they usually, that's what they'll do. They'll throw, call them a racist. It's like, uh, you know, a bomb you throw to eliminate your enemy. It has nothing to do with truth. It's just, boom, I've labeled you, you're done. I don't have to answer you anymore. Uh, the other thing they do is they, their terminology, you mentioned this earlier, the lefts are, uh, one of the tactics they use is they're always changing the definitions of words uh it's so that they can slip around here and say something a little bit differently and always uh be uh you know not have to give account for the fact that they're their whole philosophy is based on lies. So, you know, to call a black Muslim a white supremacist, what in the world could that possibly mean? It, does that mean that he yeah. actually wants white people to be in charge? That, that's almost, that stretches, cred, uh, you know, uh, credibility, doesn't it? So it's just a labeling game, a smearing game, their effort to, um, uh, to avoid having to answer uh, for the lack of truth in their arguments. That's my take on it.
2: You know, Ben, one of the things that I so applaud that you're doing with Christians Engaged, and certainly it's our heartbeat as well at Truth and Liberty, we're wanting to teach people to think. Yeah. And and, and I know people know how to think, but I mean, when I say that, teaching people how to think, I I mean, really critically to be able to spot fallacies like Richard was talking about, and this is where the church can really lead out, because, you know, um, Proverbs 1-7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the church, at her best, is a group of people that loves truth. And we, we, for God's glory and led by the Holy Spirit, we try to think with precision. Ben, isn't that one of the assignments of your age to really Help people come to the the
1: joyful pursuit of, of right thinking. Oh, absolutely! I mean, that's that's the the whole purpose of a of a biblical worldview. You know, Second um, Corinthians ten uh, says we take every thought captive to Christ. You know, we want again we want we want the scripture right thinking to be our foundation. You know, there's an incredible example. Um, since we're talking about racism I I like to bring this up as often as possible I'm sure you guys know this but racism is has been around as we said it's been around for millennia Um, but what, what a lot of people don't understand or don't remember is that the modern scientific concept of race and the superiority of certain races so white supremacy black supremacy just the concept of superiority of race actually in modern the modern sense comes from Charles Darwin Um, that's why, you know, most people don't even know the full title of his most famous book. We just call it origin of species. That's not the title. The title is on the origin of species by means of natural selection or the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. So right there in the title, he's stating his view that certain races are more advanced or more favored in the evolutionary struggle for life. And as Christians, we absolutely reject that false, degrading, and racist philosophy of, of Darwinism. But at the same time, we recognize, like, we have a justice problem because we have a sin problem, right? This is, it's not, law's not the answer. Um, <clears throat> coercion is not the answer. Social pressure is not the answer. We The only antidote to injustice really is heart change. And so, that's why the church really can can make such a huge impact because we can, by sharing the gospel, by teaching the whole counsel of God, we can we can absolutely turn the culture around, you know. Lord willing, we by prayer and His by His um, gracious hand. And Amen. that's what we're trying to do.
2: Let me let me throw a little announcement out here, folks, and then Richard, I'll let you queue up the next caller's question. But folks. Uh, God is using Truth and Liberty uh, every week. The audience is uh, touching. More and more people are being touched by this. And I would ask everyone listening right now to pray about supporting Truth and Liberty. If you go to the website, truthandliberty.net, slash donate, for a gift of at least $5 a month, we would ask that you uh, give generously through uh, the website, through our content, through the broadcasts and not only Richard Harris and Andrew Womack and myself and great hosts like uh, Pastor Dwayne Sheriff, uh, Bishop E.W. Jackson, just one of the most incredible voices of our times, a Harvard-educated attorney. And uh, I've, I've shared the stage with Bishop Jackson many times, and uh, every speech he ever gives, he has to wait for the ovations to die down because... So many people enthusiastically respond. But folks, events, broadcasting, it, it's empowering people, but Truth and Liberty uh, would deeply appreciate your support. So if you'd go to the website, truthandliberty.net, slash donate, and prayerfully consider investing in what we're doing. And Richard, just as I was speaking to the youth this week at the Summer Family Bible Conference— um, somebody asked me, I was on several interviews this week, and they said, you know, what what are you doing? Uh, and I said, well, we're trying to woke-proof America's teens. Hmm. And I uh, got a lot of emails from people who said they appreciated that. But uh, yeah, yeah your, your prayers and support mean a lot, folks, and
0: God is using what we're doing.
2: But Richard, do we have another caller or do you have a question you want to uh, pose to Ben Quine?
0: Well, yeah, uh, we, we don't have any uh, live callers, but we do have um, a, a question that came in over the Internet that I'd like to uh, tee up because I think both of you guys are experienced uh, men, uh, ministers in your own right, men of God, and, uh, and concerned about politics and everything. And I think that you could probably help this woman. So, we've got someone who's called in who's asking, and, and I'll use her words, she says, we've seen the deep darkness uh, or the darkness of deep politics how can we regain hope to step forward in the shallow end of the pool for things like school boards? I think if I could translate what she's saying, I think she's saying, you know, we've seen the corruption and the wickedness and we're really kind of tired of it, but we don't wanna just totally give up. We wanna be involved, but how do we get back involved and renew our heart and our, our enthusiasm for the cause of standing for truth in the field of politics? Because let's face it, this arena can be brutal. It can be exasperating. Um, how, how do we keep the fire alive?
1: Ben, That's an amazing question. Uh, it really hits the head of, you know, where we are today in our culture. We're, um, there is a lot of darkness and, um, we have to remember that we're commanded. We have, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And so we are commanded to shine in the darkness. And, um, I I like to think about, The idea that when. When things are really dark, then even the tiniest light will shine out. Mm. And I think that Daniel is an amazing example of that. Um, You know, he he lived in a a time that must have been absolutely horrifying. Uh, His family was probably murdered and he was kidnapped and carried off to a foreign country and um, treated terribly in many ways. And. He might have been aside from his other friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he might have been the only um, God-fearing believer in the whole system of government there under Nebuchadnezzar and later under Darius, and um, and yet he was he was willing to follow the Lord no matter what, and same for the the three friends. They you know they they resisted the call to. Um, bow down to the image. They said, oh, King, you know, you can do your worst to us, but we will not obey you or worship the image you have set up. And so I think that the answer to the question is, it really comes from knowing Jesus and walking closely with him every day, being dependent on him and and really relying on Christ and, and the body of Christ, our, our fellowship as believers, our encouragement, accountability, helping each other, prayer support, We can't just elect believers and send them off to Washington, D.C., and then leave them alone on their own. Like, we have to continually support them through prayer, encouragement, and so on. Um, But I think we are called to be Daniels, to be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's, to go into the darkness and to make an impact. But only in the power of the Holy Spirit, only in the power of Christ. Otherwise, we we will probably be overcome as well. Mm -hmm. I don't mean that as, a, as a downing message, but it's it's the, the battle is real, right? Jesus has won. We rely on him. We will, we will overcome. He says he has overcome the world, but uh, it is dark out there.
2: Hmm. Uh, um, Richard, I, I've heard it said that uh, some people, because they can't do everything, they don't do anything. And none of us can do everything. Uh, no. You know, uh, Andrew has a, a worldwide platform that virtually nobody else has a platform like that. Billy Graham had a big platform. Uh, Different people have different levels of influence, but we all have some degree of influence. And Richard, isn't it fair to say that um, we we may not be able to do everything, but each of us can at least do something. And we've Um, got to remember that um, our labor in the Lord is not in vain. That's 1 Corinthians 15. And we pray, we stay informed, we influence those around us with with God's touch. I mean, it really does count for something, doesn't it?
0: Oh, uh, you know, it does. And and we have to believe that. And you know, Paul wrote, he, he said, um, I have uh, planted and another's watered, but it is God who's given the increase. And I think sometimes when we're talking about influencing the culture or evangelism or anything else, um, if, if we're trying to, if we're too focused on the end result, this might sound counterintuitive, but if we're too focused on the end result and a numbers game, we'll actually get discouraged. Uh, I, I shocked the practical government school students here at Karis Bible College a few months ago when I was teaching and I said to them, Did you, what is your highest calling? And most of them said, to win souls. And I said, no, that is not your highest calling. Your highest calling and your most fundamental calling is to give glory to god Our the glorification of almighty god is our number one purpose um, and if we'll seek to do that we'll end up having the benefit of transforming the world you know if you look at the mayflower compact for example they they list the purposes of their endeavor and it and the first purpose is to bring glory to god and the second purpose is to propagate the gospel. And I think they got it right, didn't they? They got it in the right order. And so, if we just focus on giving glory to God and not worry so much about what people think and whether it appears to be succeeding or not, then I think we're going to be able to stay in the fight a lot longer. And, you know, one other thing is just that um, these things take time, don't they? You know, one of my favorite characters is John Quincy Adams who was John Adams' son, and I think he was the um, I don't remember what number he was, but he was president. And he fought against slavery his entire life and never saw it ended. He was known as the hellhound of abolition. He got censored. They, they put a gag order on him in the United States House of Representatives because they were sick of hearing about it. Every session he would bring <laughs> a, a resolution to ban slavery. He was so passionate about it. But he said, results, he said, duty is ours, results are God's. Duty is ours; results are God's. So let's focus on our duty, on our calling, and uh, and let God be in charge of the harvest.
1: And the other thing that's really exciting in our system is that the local elections, the local positions, really have incredible power. So you might think, oh, a school board that doesn't that doesn't have any power or influence. No, no, no. The other way, it's it's incredibly important for Christians to be in these so-called lower-level elections. You can make a huge impact. On school board, on city council, county, uh, county commissioner—all these, all of these places are are uh, vitally important.
0: Oh, that's another great point.
2: That is really true, it, especially in like curriculum selection. And guys, uh, I had the privilege uh, about two years ago to write an article for the Billy Graham Magazine of three moms who, in uh, the southeastern U.S., they it it took some courage and it took some. Strategy and some respectful pe- uh, appearances at meetings. But they, they basically got a Planned Parenthood, very explicit, very immoral curriculum removed from their school district. But they prayed, they were courageous, they were intelligent and informed. But they not only got this uh, very ungodly curriculum put out of the local school system, but they wound up all ultimately sitting on the school board themselves. And, and so, folks, I would say, like Richard said and Ben and you as well, it really does matter, but it can be, frankly, an exciting adventure. And it, isn't it just wonderful, guys, that we live in a system, you know, the old Jimmy Stewart movie, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Well, the, the average person can very significantly be involved locally regionally and maybe even nationally in our government and and we must why leave it to the pagans to run the country those of us that love god and love america let us get involved daunting Mm -hmm. as that might
0: seem amen well Well, guys we we do uh we have one more caller and we've got three minutes left i'd like to give him a shot how about you okay Uh, Actually, we've got another call. So Robert from Florida, though, is on the line. And Robert, thank you for calling in. What's your question for Ben Quine today?
4: Hi, I'm Robert from Jupiter. Hi, Ben. Uh, My question is that if on the surface we look at a scripture, Romans 12, uh, 2, it says be not conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of our mind to fulfill the good, perfect, acceptable will of God. At face value, that scripture is basically describing the ability of a believer to not only see the change which I personally have experienced in my life as I've meditated and seen this effortless change, it has produced in me the revived person that I've desired to be. Of course my wife agrees. With me. Hey Robert,
0: Robert, this is this is Richard. I just want to warn you, brother, we've only got two minutes left. So if you can wrap your question up, we'll have a better chance of answering it. Yes, sir.
4: Uh, so my question is, can we take a, a scripture like Romans chapter 12, verse 2, stand on that and believe not only that we as changed people can change our culture and society and and demonstrate the love for others that we as disciples have that in inborn nature to do. Would it really work if we were to apply that scripture and see how our culture and society and world can change and actually be turned around completely by just standing on a verse right. like Romans
0: 12 too. Great question.
1: So it is a great question. And this is one of the main teachings of the New Testament that the gospel actually transforms our hearts, changing us from the inside out. Again, we said that law is not the answer, You know, social pressure, manipulation, these aren't the answer, but heart change from the gospel is the answer, and we have seen that in American history. We saw that before the revolution, there was a great revival. Before the Civil War, there was a great revival. And as people turn back to the principles of scripture, we do see positive change in culture, absolutely. Yeah, excellent, thank you,
0: Robert, for that question. Um, Yeah, I guess you could, uh, uh, Alex, what do you think? You could look at that from a national perspective. We need a national renewing of our mind, don't we?
2: We really do, we we, we really do, because you know, whether we quote Abraham Lincoln or Charles Coulson uh, or Francis Schaeffer, I mean, the philosophy in the classroom ultimately becomes the driver of the culture in a very short order. And so it's all of us. We are to know the truth and live for the truth and impart the truth to those around us. You no know, it's so exciting richard you're able to see the clock and i'm not yes, so i'm going to defer to you but i want to thank ben quine Ben, uh, let's visit again soon in the meantime our our prayers and enthusiastic support is with you but richard uh, i'm going to let you have the final word
0: uh because Okay, well we've got family. well we are now out of time. Everyone thanks for watching. Be sure to tune in tomorrow at the same time at 3:30 p.m. Mountain Time for the Truth and Liberty Live Call-in Show. We thank our special guest today, Ben Quine, and our host Alex McFarlane. God bless you all. Have an awesome evening. Thank you for joining today's Truth and Liberty Livecast. You can watch today's and past livecasts in our archives at truthandliberty.net. Our goal is to educate Christians and connect them with resources and organizations to help them impact their sphere of influence. You can help us accomplish this by making a donation at truthandliberty.net slash donate. Join us next time for more Truth and Liberty.